So good morning one more time. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, and it's always a good idea, either on a phone or a tablet or the printed version, which if you don't have one, by the way, we have some on the back table there. We are in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, continuing our series, Christ, Our Living Hope in 1 Peter. Man, <laughs> every week that uh, we continue, I'm looking at the texts and I'm like, I'm so encouraged to be in this with you. It's been, a, it's been an interesting journey as we've been listening to Peter as he writes to the, the, the churches, the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor in that day, about 2,000 years ago. And we've been learning a lot about what, what motivated him, what prompted Peter to write. We know he's an apostle. We know he's the guy who denied Jesus three times, but he's an apostle. He's been restored to ministry. He preached the first great sermon in the book of Acts, and the church was born, 3,000 people, well, men anyway, four, maybe 5,000 total, came to Jesus after one sermon. Peter's a good preacher. The Holy Spirit's even better. So we also know that he's a pastor. He's planted churches, and he's got a pastor's heart. He's also an elder in a church in, uh, he describes in chapter 5, as we'll get there, that he's in Babylon, which is his way of saying that he's in exile in Rome, right? And so we've learned a lot about him and his motivation, which has been great. And I think we've also been seeing uh, and trying to take that 2,000-year-old situation and story and bring it up to today. How is it possibly parallel with today? Well, I hope you've seen some parallels that are important for us to see so that we can live out our faith obediently like they did in that day in our day. So I was thinking about if I had to synthesize uh, the message so far, but the message really of 1 Peter overall... um, and bring it down to a few important key points. I would say, number one, it was this. Why did he write this letter? He he wrote it so that they, these people in Asia Minor, would be assured and reminded of the most important thing. And that is that they, these Christians that he's writing to, that they would know who they are and that they are where they are because they were caused by God to be born again. God caused them. He willed them to be born again. And and he literally chose them by his foreknowledge. And in fact, the language that is used is he elected them to be his emissaries in what was their previous homeland, their previous Canada to them. But now they're exiles. They feel like exiles. They're being exiled in their own land, foreigners in their own land. And he's also reminded them in this first point that that's because now they are members of the family of God. They're members of the kingdom of God. So that's how he starts it off, just to remind them of that and the Holy Spirit, I believe, us. Secondly, that they may know that he knows as their pastor, friend, what they're going through. He wants them to know, look, I'm I'm miles, I'm thousands of miles, I'm a long way from where you are, but I know what you're dealing with. And where they were and what they were dealing with was worse at that point in time. It's going to get worse in a few years than it was in Rome for him at that time. But he was also experiencing these things. So he just wants them to know that, look, we know, we're praying for you. We know that you're experiencing persecution and you're suffering for Christ's sake. Thirdly, of course, what he wants to do is point them to Christ. (laughs) That's why they're being persecuted, because they are Christians who are obediently keeping his word. And so he points them to Christ because they want, he wants them to see and remember he suffered for them in the exact same way to the point of death. And listen, 
so that he writes them and wants them to know this, they might persevere. They will recognize that this is what Jesus had to deal with for us. So that they might persevere. And finally, so that again, the way that they live their lives, he wants them to know this and understand this. So that the way that they live their lives, they and the, uh, the way that they respond, as we'll look at even more today, to persecution, evil attacks, and reviling, that the way they respond will glorify God, will honor Christ. And in doing that, will lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the plan. That was his intention. So let's read our text for today, verses 13 to 17 in 1 Peter chapter 3. It won't be on screen. I'll read it for you, and then I'll pray one more time. So now, Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. So gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much. Uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that we are here 2,000 years out from the cross. And and so now we, we, we look back at all of the writings and everything that you've preserved for us, Holy Spirit, that you've inspired the authors to write. And we look back at these stories and, and, and we just see in all of them, first of all, God, your sovereign plan, your great love for this whole world. And we see, Lord Jesus, what you did coming here, living the life that you did, and the persecution and slander and reviling that you endured, how you suffered and died on the cross in our place and for our sins. And then you rose victorious. And you sent the Holy Spirit to us to speak into our hearts, to regenerate our hearts so that we might know you and trust you and then live for you. So we we need your help. Like, Like the people in Asia Minor needed your help. Oh, Lord, we need your help. I need your help. Be with us today. Encourage us from Peter's writings. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So I don't know where I read this or I heard this, but at this point in First Peter, somebody, I don't know, was a commentator or someone preached a great sermon on it. I, I just remember hearing this at one point in time. Is at this point, this fella asked this question. It's an important question. It's, okay, so... Why does the Christian life have to have persecution and suffering as a part of it? Like, why is that the plan, God? It's a very good question, isn't it? Why to the point where people literally 
hate us. Now, there's words being used in the text that I read for you today, and we'll get to them, but a couple of those words are slander. You know, slander's not nice, is it? When someone slanders your, your heart, your, 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 your motivations, your name, says terrible things about you. But then the word reviling, <laughs> Merriam-Webster's uh, dictionary says this, reviling implies a scurrilous, abusive attack, attack prompted by anger or outright hatred. Peter chose that word. He chose that word. So again, the question is, why is that something that we are called to or that we can expect will happen as a result of just being faithful Christians? Why, God, is that part of the plan? And how does that remotely resemble the good life? Now, I know there were some of you who probably looked at me from time to time. Every Sunday, you'd probably look at me this way. And you go, he says these things. He's reading these things. He's preaching these things with a smile on his face. What's wrong with this guy? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing's actually wrong with me. Well, that's another subject some other time. (laughs) So you might ask, is he kidding? Is he kidding really? Okay, like why? Why? Well, it's the text. It's the story. But is it not true? It's true. So really... I'm not kidding, and so may I just humbly suggest that it is God's will that we go through times like this. It is part of the plan. It is his will. And, and it, listen, it, we, we, he, he wants us to go through these things so that, you're going to hear me use that phrase a few times today, I love those two words, it's really important. They speak to meaning and purpose, so that you and I could be saved. Jesus had to go through that and endure that so that you and I, in the first place, could be saved. And so, listen, for you and I, it is so that you and I could be, through all of this, conformed to his image, sanctified. That's how it works, actually. It's how we're tested and then sanctified in this life, made just like him, which is what? What what is Jesus just like? Well, who is Jesus? What is he like? He is exactly this, holy, perfect, and righteous all the time. Anybody able to claim that yet? But that's the goal. That's the plan. (laughs) And God planned it in such a way that this is what it's going to take. It's hard. Life is still good. There's lots of good times. But... If we're obedient to our faith, we're going to suffer persecution. So let's now have a look at Peter, what Peter writes to the churches a little bit more closely. And I, I do to, hope today we'll see two things again about him, about what's going on here. See a pastor's heart, P- Peter's pastoral heart, but also an elder's wisdom, a pastoral apostle, elder in a local church who's extremely wise. And so look at the first verse of our text today. Verse 13 says, now, Peter, asking a rhetorical question, I'm going to suggest to you, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? I got another question. (laughs) How would you describe yourself? Are you a pessimist or an optimist? Are you a glass-half-filled kind of gal or a glass-half-empty kind of guy? 
None of you are jumping to an answer, which is great, because I want to encourage you, don't necessarily jump to the more positive one. Like, what, like that's what we would all... I'm a, of course, I'm you know, like an optimist. Of course, I'm glass half full kind of guy. I've said that many times in my life. <laughs> but I just want to suggest to you, honestly, think about it this way. Um, some people who appear to be eternal optimists are as far from reality as some pessimists are. Or at least we might think they are. But honestly, let's think about it this way, and, and, and this is part of Peter's point. Everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. Everyone who's born suffers from the moment they are born. That's why they babies scream and cry. It's pain. Life, human existence, is not often um, easy. It's often actually very hard, and it's harder. You know this. We know this for others in this world, much harder for many others in this world than it is for you and I. Life is hard. It really is. And so now as well, sometimes our lives are hard, listen, because of the poor choices we make in our lives. Anybody got a T-shirt or a closet full? Thank you, brother. I knew you'd be honest. Of course, we've made bad choices. And what is the, co- the consequence is suffering for bad choices. So really, at the end of the day, look at life is a struggle. And realizing that, facing that is a good thing. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to bring us to. It's also very natural to become, I feel, pessimistic in these days. It certainly was natural in those days, and that's why Peter's writing this to these people, to become pessimistic in the days. I mean, just watch the nightly news, scroll through social media. I know most of you are more holy than me, and you don't do that. Right. Right? Just scroll through those things, and honestly, it can seem after a while like the world is simply going to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket. Amen? That's how preachers say that word. But it does, right? It can just look like... What a mess. It's just the world is just terrible. It's, right? It's just... It's just and, and, then, and then on top of that, you know, all we read about and hear about on the news or on social media everywhere is about wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, pestilences, pestilences, still going on, always going on, humans treating other humans really badly, horribly, Right? Politicians who say one thing and then once they're in office do not fulfill their promises but do the opposite? No. Really? They don't like making political commentary, but okay, how about this? How do they get into office often? By promoting fear. By playing to our fears. You vote those guys in and oh, life is going to be terrible. You vote us in and life is going to be great. We're going to spend billions and billions of dollars because, well, we promised. And that's going to make things better. So, and then add to that that as Christians, again, as Christians, we increasingly see our world and our culture not just, listen, not just abandoning every virtue uh, and Christian belief that has helped shape our world and culture despite their what seems to be their ignorance of that today, but they're abandoning that. And, and, and it's been positive what these Christian values have accomplished for our world and culture. 
And now the church, those who believe in Christ and trust in him and are obedient to his word, are under significant attack. I know it gets a little painful when I keep reminding us of this, but it's just true. It's going to get worse. The Bible says so. That as we approach the end times, it's just going to wax worse and worse, as the King James reminds us. And so I think there's a concern that Peter has here at this point. That's why he's writing these words to the people in Asia Minor. The concern is, if we're not careful, we too can become the kind of people who walk around with a small cloud over us everywhere we go. Trust me, people can see the cloud over your head, over my head from time to time, right? There are legitimate sufferings, I understand, but sometimes it's just like, sometimes we have this kind of doomsday mindset, right? And he wants... He, he wants to push back on that with them, right? So this doomsday of thinking, and listen, I, I, I suggest to you it, it actually abounds quite in an unhealthy, but in a big way, in the church today. And the result is that this pessimism, Peter wants to say to us, actually has no place in the life of a Christian. Because if we allow it to have that place, then the problem is, we're going to just want to hunker down, close our doors, right? Keep ourselves clean from that terrible little world out there, big world, and just become pessimists. Well, does that sound like the mission? <laughs> I don't think so. So Peter is essentially saying in the positive, listen, in the positive in this one verse, he is saying this, that you and I should expect that when people see us being zealous for good works, zealous to do good, that in general anyway, when they see us doing good things and helping the poor and doing good things and you know, just being good people, they're going to respond just like any non-Christian would to any other person who's just being a good person. They're going to be okay with us. They're going to respond in a good way. That's kind of what he's getting at here. So I guess the question is, why, why, why wouldn't they? If you're being, even by worldly standards, a good person, someone who is kind and loving towards their neighbor, willing to serve, to step in and help when, when there is a need in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace, right? When you're willing to do that, someone who, whether at school or in the work or marketplace, displays a level of integrity and is honorable, someone who, who says one thing and then I will do this and then commits to it and actually does it, someone who shows up early and stays late, not all the time, but sometimes, someone who's so committed to help, being helpful and being a good employee and all the rest of it, in general, people will respond how to that kind of person? Well, well, in general. So, to begin with anyway, what Peter wants us to avoid is a pessimism that leads us to becoming insular and separate due to opposition and even persecution, but instead to press on, to get back up on the horse, to keep going, right? To be those kind of people, to continue to serve and love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, again, what we see in Peter is an understanding pastor who knows from the updates that he's been receiving. This is just not a willy-nilly letter. He's going, you know what, I just think I'll write them a letter. No, he's had people come to Rome from Asia Minor and say, oh man, we need to pray for the people in Asia Minor because here's what's happening. So he knows these things. 
He's hearing about the various trials, and here's what he wants, I believe, them to hear him saying. I understand. I really do. I understand. But listen, Christian, we, of all people on this planet, should be the most eternally optimistic people there are. Do you remember who I told you you were and why? That's his point here. He also knows, however, the reality, as we've been hearing repeatedly, of their situation, which is why he then adds the next verse and says, but listen, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sakes, sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So this is the reality check. <laughs> he's, you know, he's not just like, not, not trying to gloss over it. He's coming back to it. It's a reality check, right? Peter says, listen, don't be a Debbie Downer pessimist. I was thinking about, is there an actually good male? I don't, didn't mean to pick on the girls. Ever, Debbie Downer, right? Don't be that way. But let's also not be naive. I don't want you to be naive. We can't be naive. The reality is, and, and you are experiencing it, you in Asia Minor and you too here at The Rock, you're experiencing it. Many are going to reject and object to what you and I believe. The lifestyle you now not only choose for yourselves, but the lifestyles that you suggest are best for everyone. Are we suggesting that? Well, for that, you can expect to suffer for righteousness' sake. Just being honest, Peter says. Me too. You are. His language is actually classic here. He's saying it kind of like this. So listen, what's so bad for suffering for righteousness' sake? Notice the smile, right? Do you remember Peter and John in the book of Acts when they ran off and they were out preaching and teaching and proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead, Jesus the only way, God in the flesh, preaching all that, and what happened to them? They got beat, <laughs> beaten, right? Whooped. What did they do? They ran back to the church and they went, guess what happened? They did. They were excited that they got persecuted like that, beaten, just like Jesus did. That's how closely they aligned themselves with Christ. Yeah. And so now Peter also wants us to expect and experience what Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that a little bit last week, right? You remember, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus said these words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We can expect that, our, that part of our suffering for righteousness' sake is already a blessing. See, the, the misunderstanding some people have from the previous verse is that, well, if I go out and do good things and continue to do good things, God's going to bless me more. No, it, it's actually an imperfect tense. It's, it's, it's like you already are. In Christ, you already have all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Amen? You're already blessed. You can't be any more blessed than you already are. I know we don't feel like it sometimes, but sometimes that's because we're actually not going and making disciples and proclaiming Christ. Instead, we're feeling very down and pessimistic about everything. I, I, I'm, I'm preaching this to me too, okay? I have been. It's amazing. 
So why? Well, we are suffering for righteousness' sake in the same way that Jesus did. And then he adds, right after that, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Excuse me. I think Peter was there for this sermon, don't you? We just read that today. Same words. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. Smile, pastor. For your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Guys, honestly, I I have to ask myself this on a repeated basis. Do, do, Do you, do we completely understand how great the reward is of knowing Christ? To be forgiven. And, and have eternity with him. Do, 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 you want, do we understand? It's great. I, I don't have the words for it. It's just great. Jesus had the words. It's great. I think we can trust him. So I, I want to suggest to you what Peter's trying to suggest here. Let's live every day, despite the sufferings, despite the persecutions, in that reality. Let's live in light of that. Remind ourselves that. This letter is a reminder. Sermons are reminders, hopefully. Peter goes on in verse 14 and says, but, actually, I'm going back to verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So finally then on this verse, look at the advice Peter gives us on how to respond when we find ourselves in this situation, in those kinds of situations. What is the words that he uses right near the end there? Fear not. Let me say it again. Fear not. Jesus said it many times. Have no fear. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Don't be afraid. Have no fear. Proverbs 29, 25 will not be on screen. It says this, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Protected would be another way of saying that. So every human being and many Christians suffer from, you all know this, or you should, the fear of man. We just do. I have, and sometimes still do. We we all want to be accepted, affirmed, approved, loved, right? Anybody? That's that's what we all want. We we totally want that. We 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 rejection. For those who are caught in the snare of man, is not only hard to deal with, but it can make us avoid certain things at all costs. I don't want to put myself in that situation. I don't want to be rejected again. I want to be loved. I want to be approved. I want to be accepted. I don't want to be seen like that. But that's Peter's point here, actually. Choosing, listen, not to go along with the crowd, whether in school or at work, not party and drink too much, not to be sexually immoral, to endure social rejection, and then receive slander and abuse as a result. That's the cost that you and I will have to, A, expect, B, bear. We just will have to. But it's for righteousness' sake. It's for his sake. Righteousness equals Jesus. Let's just, it's for his sake. Okay. So Proverbs tells us that trust in the Lord 
If we do that, we will be safe. You don't need to fear man. Don't let that happen to you. Do not be, as the last part of verse 14 says, be troubled. Don't do that. Do not fear man. Now listen, that's easier said than done, isn't it? So I'm just going to give you this illustration because this happened in the last week or two, but I'm not really wanting to go back into this space. I'm not, but it just happened. And I would, you, you need to understand this. We need to understand this. But those of you who don't know, uh, a hockey player for the Philadelphia Flyers uh, a week or 10 days ago went to his coach before the pregame skate. It's a 20 to 30-minute skate. They shoot pucks and get warmed up a little bit. And uh, this pregame skate, the Flyers jerseys were going to be a practice jersey, and the jersey was going to be in celebration of Pride Night. So there were rainbows and colors like that on it, and hockey sticks had rainbow tape on it. And this hockey player went to his coach and said, can I sit out the pregame skate? And his coach said, why? And he told him why. That was it. The coach said, fine. (laughs) Why? Well, later, some people noticed that he didn't come for the pregame skate. And so they made a deal about it, and they went to find out why. They, They knew but they went to find out why, and all he said to the media was this. With good conscience, I couldn't do that. I am a Christian. Friends, the only reason why I bring it up is I I honestly still can't believe this, but the vitriol on social media, Twitter, all social media, and, and on TV broadcasters, sports network broadcasters that we all know in Canadian broadcast, the the vitriol and the anger and the reviling against this man was, I've, I've never seen it be that harsh. People are calling for him to be fined. People are calling for him to be fired and put out of the NHL. Not just a few. Many, many, many people. Now, let me bring that home for you today. What would you do? What will you do if someone comes to you and says, Christian, you're a Christian, right? You go to, a, what, The Rock? You go to, um, did you hear that story about that hockey player? What will you do? How will you handle that? Peter wants us to understand we need to have a good conscience about that. And he's going to go on in verse 15 to say this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. As far as I know, the only person who's come to that man's defense is his coach. And his coach has only said one thing repeatedly. He's, he did nothing wrong. So Peter's next words of advice are key. The first thing he suggests is, look, honor Christ the Lord. Now, our English translation, the ESV that I use, that we use mostly at the Rock Church, is good. It's really good. But and it's good because it, it puts the Greek mostly in the proper order that it is. So when you see in your text, honor Christ the Lord as holy, that is the, the actual order of the Greek words. But it's not misleading, but we, we have to see it actually more like this. It should be more like honor Christ as the holy Lord, because the whole point is in this, it's about honoring Christ who? The King. In everything you do, and that's the first thing he gets at, but in your hearts. First of all, in your hearts, honor Christ as your king, as Lord of your life. By the way, 
He's also king and lord of this world, but not everybody is part of his kingdom. And so that might help us, I think, see what Peter was literally getting at with this encouraging advice. When you are suffering, even for righteousness' sake, and the next verse tells us, when we are being slandered and reviled, remember who your king is. (laughs) Remember whose kingdom you are part of. Or remember Glenn's favorite hashtags. Hashtag, not my king. Hashtag, not my kingdom. Whenever I get really frustrated and, and what I see going on out there, I just say to myself, hashtag, not my king, hashtag, not my kingdom, and I get on with my day. That seems to be working. I share it with you in the hope that it might do that also for you. But also remember this. Again, this won't be on screen, but Jesus said in Matthew 28, just before he gave the great commission, he said, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So friends, the reality is, Peter, listen, the Holy Spirit and Jesus know it. The reality is when we start to feel the pressure to, as Paul put it in Romans, conform to the pattern of this world, the kingdom of this world, and not fearlessly live the kingdom life that we have been blessed with now, when that happens, Peter's clear advice, and mine too is, hashtag, not my king, hashtag, not my kingdom. Don't buckle. Do not conform. And so next, Peter goes on to suggest, well, here's also what you need to do. What he wants for you and I to do is he wants us to be, look at these words, five words to focus on, but the first word is we're going to look at is the word prepared, but the five are always prepared, defense, anyone, and ask. So, so rather than being drawn into all the chaos and strife in our world that leads to pessimism, Look, Peter says, always be prepared. You get up in the morning, you have coffee, you get dressed. Hopefully most of you do that. You know, you have some food, you get prepared for what? For work. To go to work. To do what you're supposed to do. And and so the question for all of us is, how do we always get prepared? For today, for tomorrow, for the next day. I'm just going to give you a little hint. It looks something like this. You need this. This is what we need every single day. We need this. That's how we are prepared. We are prepared by being in the word of God daily. I humbly suggest to you life journaling. It's awesome. I encourage you. Friends, I can't tell you how many times in the years in the past when when I first started getting into life journaling where I would read two or three chapters uh, like they, they give you in that life journal. And then on that very day, I would end up having a coffee with somebody or in a situation with an unbeliever, a believer, and, and there would be a situation where I could, I, could, I could speak into it. And the text <laughs> from that morning was perfect. I can't tell you how many times, not every time, but so many times it's that text that was perfect for them to hear. But also, in addition, I must remind us about what we talked about last week about unity of mind. I know that's a challenge. I know it's a big challenge for us as a church. It's a challenge for every church that we agree. But can you imagine a scenario, friends, where someone who's like wanting to know how we feel about that hockey player or wanting to know about any other of the questions about Jesus, about God, about the Bible, about whatever, and and then we share with them what we believe is what we've been prepared by, by the word of God, that is a defense for the gospel, for the truth, and they go, 
well, that's funny. I was talking to somebody else at your church, and they don't agree with you. They think this. Can I just ask a question? How helpful is that, do you think? Not very. So, always be prepared. The next word is the word defense, and of course, we all know this part of this verse. It's like a bumper sticker, right? It's a bumper sticker. To give, a def- pardon me, to give a defense for the hope that is in you, we get the word apologetics from the Greek word here in this letter for defense, which is the word apologia. Great apologetic uh, ministries have been started. Apologists have been birthed. There's several that are podcasts that I point people to all the time. Alyssa Childers, uh, a woman who's just a fantastic apologist. That is not exactly what Peter had in mind in here. He wasn't talking about creating some extra bibli- uh, pardon me, extra church or parachurch organization or people who are specially gifted to be apologists. He's speaking about all of us. Every single one of us needs to be an apologist. And it's not about making an apology for what we believe. It's about giving a defense for the hope that is in us. And that hope is what? Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. So always prepare to give a defense. And it's about every Christian knowing what the truth is and also every Christian being able to discern between truth and error. Here and here. (laughs) We need to be of one mind on these things. So note also, then, it, it, it's, you see the word anyone. So it's like, doesn't matter who comes to you, anyone who comes to you. You could have a university professor with three PhDs come to you and go, I want to talk to you about creation and evolution. Hello. Does that qualify as anyone? Yes, it does. A single mom wants to come to you and say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe in a God who allowed this kind of thing and my husband and this to happen to me in my life and I'd be so poor and so forth. Yes, she's anyone. Anyone. But also, notice who initiates, at least at this point. The initiator is the other person, which implies that we need to be in someone's life and other people's lives, non-Christians' lives, or struggling Christians' lives, who will look to us at the way we're living, and they will actually think, I should ask that question of that person. So there's an active part that we must be playing in all of this so that we can share with an unbeliever or a deconstructing, struggling new believer or older believer in the faith. So Peter adds some very important advice to all of this. We are to never, ever, listen, to give a defense in an aggressive or arrogant way. Okay, I didn't do that last week. (laughs) but Never. He adds the words with gentleness and respect. I don't know which one of those two you struggle the most to exhibit. I have struggled with respect. And it, it's just in, it's just in the, your tone and the way you, you don't listen long enough and you answer too quickly and you're just... It's disrespectful. Do I mean to be disrespectful? No, I don't. But I can be. It's just the look on my face when they ask the question. It can be disrespectful. And Peter's saying, may I encourage you to to not do that? Be respectful and be gentle. Say, look, I understand. I struggled with that too. Maybe that's how you should go about it. So finally, let's also be clear. Peter is not saying that we should never initiate. He's not. And he's going to close with that, and I'm going to close with it too, because listen, 
Eternity is on the table every day, every moment of every day for everyone in this room and for everyone out there. It's on the table, guys. One idea that I've shared with the church over the years is kind of a culmination of a bunch of other people that I've read and heard from, which I really appreciate, is, the, is this, that, that, that the, maybe it's related to how we might share the gospel. It's the way that we should live our lives, maybe even sometimes in a provocative way. You know, we should maybe be a little bit gregarious about what we believe and why, gently and respectfully. But the way that we live our lives should be lived in such a way, so overtly as Christians, so positively and optimistically as Christians, that at some point in time when people do ask us to give a defense for the truth that is with us, the hope that is in us, the only answer we've got is not, well, you know, I read the Bible every day. No. The only answer we've got is, well, Jesus. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner, I, I, just like you, like Jesus. The gospel is the only thing we've got if we live ourselves and our lives that way. He is the hope that is in us. So Peter concludes with words, I believe, that are intended to encourage the early church and us here today to understand the importance of two things. Our roles and our responses. I'll add a third thing, our responsibility to those who are far from Christ and may die in their sins. Peter says in verses 16 and 17, having a good conscience, there's my favorite words, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, that's better than to suffer for doing evil. Peter's encouragement to them and to us is that we should do all that he has encouraged us to do so that... There's those two words that I emphasized earlier. They speak to the meaning and purpose of your life and my life. And yes, even when we are slandered and reviled, so that then our good behavior in Christ may put those who treat us that way, to shame. Cut them to the heart is what it's getting at. It's not disrespectful. The gospel cuts to the heart. So he's speaking here of what will happen if we are faithful to respond well to always being prepared and then to give a defense, proclaim Christ, preach the gospel into someone's life and hopefully heart. At the end of the day, we know this. That's our role, that's our response, and that's our responsibility, but the conclusion is not up to us. At that point, it's up to the Holy Spirit. It's in his hands, and he's good at his role, by the way. He's pretty good at that. So we also need to know this, if, if, and you know this. If you've been active in this way, sharing your faith, preaching the gospel, you know that there are one of two responses, only one of two two responses that you're going to get, that I'm going to get, if we are always prepared and we give good defenses for the hope that is in us. One is people are going to be cut to the heart. They're going to believe the gospel. And they're going to, they're going to ask you, well, what do I got to do? How do I become a Christian like you? The next step is pretty easy. Or they don't. They just reject the gospel. 
So again, the outcome is not in our hands, but listen, the preparation, the readiness, and the availability is our responsibility, church. So Peter's final words here say it very starkly and clearly. Let me try to put it this way. He's saying it is better for you and I to suffer for doing this kind of good. It is. Isn't it? It is. But for those who reject the gospel, they too will suffer for evil without Christ. So there are eternal consequences at stake. So let's pray, church. As we're revisioning what we're going to do here in this place in 2023 and as we leave here today, that you and I will be faithful to our calling. Jesus saved you. He saved me. He saved us for this purpose. This is the sanctification of our lives. It's the mission. And it's also, as Paul wrote in Romans 12, our reasonable act of worship. Pray with me, would you?